I promise you that the love of skiing will far outlast and outperform any number of gates, runs, courses, or camps. Welcome to Unspoken Bravery. I'm your host, Erin Milzinski, a multiple-time Olympian. Skiing started as my first love and quickly became my greatest teacher. This podcast is meant to take a deep dive behind the capes of our everyday superheroes and find out what's under the brave spirits, the fearless feats, and the nerves of steel. It's normal to feel fear. Hardships lurk around every corner. And yet these roadblocks can be met with a challenger's mindset and turned into wonderful gifts. It's time to celebrate imperfections, to build bravery from setbacks, and to take our goals to the next level. So let's dive right in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Unspoken Bravery. I'm recording this from Pozza di Fassa, Italy. And I can tell you that jumping behind the microphone is still nerve-wracking. My heart is still beating. I get nervous every time, whether it's solo or with a friend. It's been an interesting juggle trying to coordinate schedules because a lot of my guests are in Olympic qualification periods or within their season, and I'm still competing and training as well. But it's already brought me so much. I've reconnected with old friends. I've made new friends and I've just learned so much. And I hope you have too. Today, I'm bringing you a solo episode. So I'm nervous again. The first one was a while ago. And it's going to be one part of a two-part series about sports specialization and dual sport athletes. And part one, I'm going to talk a little bit about my past and my upbringing. And part two, we're going to talk to Valerie Grenier because we had very similar upbringings in the grand scheme of things. So it should be fun. It should be interesting. And I'm nervous as always. I don't know if that'll ever go away. And so we begin. As the story goes, before I was two, I started skiing on both snow and water. And I started snow skiing in the normal way. I was on a harness with my ski tips attached together, and I loved every second of it. I would follow around my big sister, Jenna, and try to do everything she was doing, and I think it forced me to be brave. Water skiing was different. It's a different site. Outside our home, my parents would hose down the water and strap us to some water skis and just tow us around on the wet grass, and I loved it. And from a young age, we also started swimming, diving, karate, dance, gymnastics, figure skating, and our sports at school were soccer and track and field. So it was really busy growing up in our household. In the winter, I refused to go to daycare. I would just want to ski all day with my parents. I didn't want to go inside without them. And so I would fall asleep on the chairlift and they would have to carry me around for the rest of the day, which you can definitely see in the way I ski. I ski a lot like my parents. And so I was just sleeping on their hip, napping all day. And I loved it. It was just this amazing family sport. And by age five, I really wanted to race. I think my sister was already racing. I was chasing her around and I really wanted to race. And so My parents approached our ski club, Georgian Peaks, and they asked if I could race. And I was too young to race. Racing started at age six. But one of the six-year-olds had come down with the flu or some kind of sickness. And so I actually raced under someone else's name for my first race ever because I was so young. And I'm sure I didn't get a score or anything, but I just loved it. I fell in love with racing and skiing. And 
it was just such a beautiful family thing for us. And if I look back, obviously I'm an alpine skier now, but if I look back, I think our family's focus was on water skiing. All of our holidays that we took were to Florida to water ski with the best in the world. We were going for Christmas holidays. We were going for March break. And anytime we head off school, we would head off to Florida and just start training. And I guess I just want to pause here for a second, and I should have done this before, but I want to explain what water skiing is. And in water skiing, there's three events, slalom, tricking, and jumping, which we heard a bit about jumping with Ryan Dodd. And slalom is the more traditional event. You ski around the buoys at a certain speed. For women, it's 55 kilometers an hour. And each pass, you shorten the rope until you no longer make it around the buoys. And in tricking, it's two 20-second passes, and you do as many tricks as you can in 20 seconds. It is judged, but not for aesthetics or how it looks, just for the completion of the trick. So if you stayed in the air long enough or if the flip was completed the whole way around. So our tricks were kind of flips, 540s, 720s, even sometimes jumping over the rope. And jumping is maybe the most simple and also the most dangerous. You strap two skis to your feet this time. And the boat goes in a straight line and you kind of have a pendulum effect and you hit a, for women, for my age at the time, it was a five foot ramp. And so you pendulum swing into a ramp with the boat going straight and you try to go as far as you can. Nothing else matters. You have to ski away from the jump for it to count and you get three tries per session. And water skiing isn't an Olympic sport because of the use of the motor in the boat. Um, We tried to make an Olympic sport. We signed all these petitions when I was young, but it's still not an Olympic sport. And so I improved the fastest at slalom and tricking. I was trying flips by the age of six, maybe because of my gymnastics background. And I was getting into some crazy passes in slalom for my age. And before we were six years old, my mom was our predominant coach in water skiing and alpine skiing. And at our cottage, it was pretty funny because she would turn the boat around sit in the passenger seat, drive the boat with one hand while watching us and coach us like that. And if we fell, she'd jump back into the driver's seat. And when we were old enough, my sister and I would just sit in the driver's seat trying to keep the boat in a straight line and obviously not hit anything. We were on a private lake, so it was safe. And my mom would watch us and coach us. And for tricking you, you need a pinner to let go of the rope if you fall or else you drag. And that was how we kind of studied or trained under my mom's supervision. And so so she was most, uh, many of you know my mom and she's still really active in the community as a coach. And that's how we grew up skiing. By age 11, we quit most other sports and we were focusing on swimming, gymnastics, water skiing, and alpine skiing. And so in the summer, what it looked like is we'd ski five times a day, alternating between the events, usually two slalom sessions, one jump and two tricks. But Sometimes it depended for jumping what we would try to do, but we couldn't go to the farmer's market or hang out with friends or anything until we were done training for the day. So we had to get in those five sets and we had to make sure we did it when the wind was good. And it takes a little while because you have to rest between and each set is maybe 15 to 30 minutes long. And in the fall, we would start school, obviously, and my mom would pick us up from school and we would go to swimming shower, eat in the car, usually, I don't know, grilled cheese or something in a thermos. And we would go straight to gymnastics for, I don't know, three hours or so. And then we would head home, cram in some homework, go to sleep and get up and do it the next day. And we were always excited when Fridays would hit because we would head up to the cottage, water ski on Friday night, and then all weekend. And then we would head back to the city, not the city, we're from a really small town, but head back home on Sunday night. And this kind of continued until it got too cold 
to keep water skiing. I mean, it didn't really stop us. We're Canadian. So we would wear dry suits and hats and gloves. And my dad would actually stand on the back of the boat and we would start from the back of the boat and he would let us out on the rope so we wouldn't have to jump in the water right away. And we would try to do all of our passes without falling because it would be so cold. And I can't tell you the brain freeze that you feel when you've fallen in the water in November and then you get up and the boat is going whatever, 30 kilometers an hour or 50 kilometers an hour. It's very cold, but that's how we would train. And we would train as long as possible. And after skiing, we would sit in the bathtub or stand in the shower. And we would just, I don't know, for us, that was completely normal. And in the winter, we would continue swimming and doing gymnastics after school. And again, on the weekends, we would head up to the cottage and we would ski all weekend. And I just had so much passion for alpine skiing. I loved going up the chairlift with my friends. I loved racing around the ski patrols for the last run of the day. I was usually on the hill before our classes and programs began and off the hill as the ski patrols were off the hill. And I loved it. For me, it was just such a family sport. And we'd usually take one trip a year with my grandparents. And that's kind of how my grandpa became my biggest hero ever because I would ski behind him and he'd teach me how to counter rotate in a tuck. And, and for me, it was just I don't know. It was just this beautiful thing. And we didn't live in the mountains. And so it was just something so special. I remember the first time I tasted a cloud on my tongue because we were skiing through a cloud. And for me, it was just this beautiful existence on the mountains. And it never felt like work. It was just this beautiful family, passionate thing that brought us together. But water skiing, it felt like work to me. Um, for Christmas and March break, like I said, we would head to Florida and it's a pretty lonely sport to learn. You have to fall to learn. You have to fall in the water. The boat turns around. You wait in the water till the boat picks you up and you get up and you just try it again. And alpine skiing, you can try something and you can be slow and you go up the chairlift and you try it again. But water skiing's different. You have to fall to improve. And someone said that water going up your nose hurts, but when you fall on the water going at these speeds with these crashes, it feels like concrete. It's it's pretty gnarly. It's pretty graphic at times and the falls can be really hard. And so sometimes I would end a session and I would be in tears. I would feel completely defeated. I would feel like I accomplished nothing, but falling a hundred times without learning anything. And <laughs> my parents would bribe us a little bit. You know, if we learned a new trick, we could go to a certain place or we could get that thing we really wanted. And I think it kind of helped us keep us going when you're falling so many times in a day. But eventually we would succeed and we would learn the trick or make a new pass in slalom or jump just a little bit further. And it felt like we were on top of the world. And, and then being able to recreate that in competition, it felt like we were winning the lottery. And so it all, it made it worth it, but it's definitely just kind of a lonely sport to learn. You're behind a boat alone, falling constantly. You can't go up the chairlift with your friends afterwards. And it just felt like work, but we were prepared to put the work in. And that's what we did day in and day out, kind of all summer long and into the fall. And by the age of 13, I was already competing in and winning open divisions at the Canadian Nationals. So the open division is all ages of women. And I was actually drug tested at the Nationals when I was 13 in a porta potty. And so I was kind of forced to grow up pretty fast. I had these amazingly pressure-filled situations at such a young age and had to make these huge decisions and split-second decisions because I was improving so quickly. 
And at age 15, I quit swimming and gymnastics because it was just too much. I really focused my time on skiing on the water and the snow and high school. At that point, I was in high school and I took academics incredibly seriously. And I never went to a a sports school. I went to a normal high school. And so my teachers were such an amazing part of that existence because I was able to experience so many normal things in high school. I have the best friends in the world that are still my friends. I was able to go to prom. I was able to go to our school dances and our field trips and do the pig dissections and have such a normal high school existence other than missing a ton of school. And I have to thank my teachers for that because at Bishop McDonnell, where I went, they had binders ready for me when I went. They let me sit in on their lunch hour and do these dissections and they just went above and beyond. And that's when I really realized what an impact teachers can make on children's lives and what an impact they made on my life because they made it possible for me to water ski at a high level alpine ski and love it and keep high grades. My grades were in the nineties all through high school. And and I couldn't have had those experiences or those grades without these teachers. And that same year I entered FIS and what FIS is, is it's kind of the more intense version of alpine skiing. When you enter FIS, that's when things kind of start to get real. I'm still in FIS. So at 15, you enter FIS and then that's kind of where you stay for your life until you retire. And it was a really special time. It was really nerve wracking to enter FIS and I was working hard in alpine skiing. Of course, you have to work hard to perform, but I was just more naturally gifted as a water skier. We spent a lot more time water skiing, but each year I trained less and less. And it was this drastic game of catch up to catch up with my competitors. And I was able to do it at a young age. I kept, I kept performing and I kept trying and I kept training and I was getting closer and closer to making our junior teams for water skiing until I was finally the alternate for the team with my sister was actually on the team. So it was pretty cool to be the alternate and watch her compete and cheer them on. And some of my best friends were on the team. And so it was, it started to feel like everything was coming together in water skiing and in alpine skiing, I was trying to make the Ontario team. I went on my first summer camp, which was pretty old to go on a summer camp for the first time. And, but I had still never lifted weights. I had never entered a gym at all, actually, period. I had done some fitness testing because it was required, but I had done no kind of dry land training. But in school, I was missing more days than I attended, but I was a big nerd. I worked super hard on my lunch hours. I would meet with the teachers. Thank goodness I had such amazing teachers and I just loved to learn. I was able to keep my grades in the nineties and, and I, I am so thankful to my school for that. But at the same time, I couldn't, look at a calendar. I remember being with my mom and I actually, I think I threw the calendar away as she was asking me what the calendar was because I was so stressed looking at it, seeing how much time I would miss water skiing and have to catch up, how much time I would miss alpine skiing and again, have to catch up and how much time I would miss in school and have to try to kind of juggle those three things and try to keep straight A's while doing it. And I was just I just remember sometimes being completely overwhelmed. And I think everything kind of came to a head. There was like the catalyst event in my life when I was in grade 12 in high school, when I was 16 and 17 years old. At 16, I made it to and won the Junior Masters, which is one of the most prestigious events to win as a junior water skier. I was falling behind more in slalom and tricking because they're maybe more technical. But as I was getting better at alpine skiing, I was becoming more brave and stronger. And so that directly translated into my jumping. And so I was able to cut harder, kick harder off the top and go further in jumping. And so 
I started to kind of excel there and then fall behind a little bit in the other two events. I went to the Junior Worlds in France with some of my best friends. It was an amazing team. And I placed second in the jump event and our team won gold for Canada. And I felt like I was living on cloud nine. I was hitting my stride in water skiing. I had graduated high school with a 99%. And in alpine skiing, it just felt like it was becoming more serious by the day. And I was working hard. And I, at that point, I was on the Ontario team. And that's when life for me did a 180. And I received a call from Tim Gefeller, who later became one of my greatest mentors. And he's from the Canadian alpine ski team at the time. Now he's with Norway. But he told me that I had made the national development team for alpine skiing, and I was expected to be at a camp in Sunshine, Alberta in May. In May, that's when the junior masters was. So he didn't tell me that I had to make a choice. He said, I know you're water skiing. I know you're good at it. I know you're planning to go to the masters. And I'm not telling you to make a decision, but at some point, you probably will have to make a decision. And I hung up that call with Tim, and on the spot, I knew I would never compete in water skiing ever again. And actually, I've never even strapped on a pair of jumpers again. And it's kind of crazy sitting here talking about it because I have I have nightmares where I'm not good at water skiing anymore. And I miss the feeling of flying and I miss the feeling of being so rhythmical on a trick ski and, and cutting so hard on slalom ski only to change direction, turn around a buoy. And it's probably the thing I dream about the most at night. It must be in my subconscious mind, but... At the time, I knew right away that my decision was made. I didn't even go home. I didn't talk about it with my parents. I didn't I didn't think about it. I knew that I was following the path of an alpine skier. And over the years, a lot of people have asked me why I made this decision. And I've answered a lot of different ways. And I think we all answer things maybe expecting what people want to hear. And I've said, you know, I loved water skiing, but my heart was in the mountains. Or some people assume it's because I wanted to be an Olympian because water skiing is not an Olympic sport. But I really don't think any of these things are completely true. And now that I'm a little bit older, I think I can tell the truth, but also I realize the truth maybe. Maybe that's more of what it is. And I don't have any regrets. And I loved water skiing. I made amazing friends there. I learned so much. It was a beautiful sport. And I just think I was completely burnt out. I was tired of the game of catch up. I was tired of trying to find places to train. I was tired of my dysfunctional surroundings. I really wanted stability. And I was just, I was tired and I was burnt out and I was 17. And so I, I chose alpine skiing because I wanted that stability. And for me, alpine skiing was that stability. Everything in it that I found in it was, you know, A plus B equals C at the time. I mean, it's more complicated now that I'm older, but at the time it just offered that stability that I was looking for. And to be honest, that's really when my Olympic dream started. I think when I hung up my water skis, when I graduated high school and I decided to take a year off, that's when I thought, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can be an Olympian. And of course I thought about it before in grade nine, I think I had drawn an art class myself at the Vancouver Olympics, skiing around a gate as GS. So I was wrong, but <laughs> it was... It started earlier, but I think when I hung up that phone call, I said, okay, now it's possible. Now I don't have to play catch up anymore. Now I'm going to give my 100% to one thing. And looking back now, I really don't understand how we did it all, how we went between these four sports, how we afforded it. My parents, literally, they sacrificed everything. They're the most selfless people. 
I know. Our cottage was a trailer on a lake. We weren't living in a, you know, big wood, big windowed cottage. We had a trailer and my sister and I slept in bunk beds, tiny bunk beds in kind of a closet sized room in a, like literally a mobile trailer. And we wore secondhand clothes. We didn't go out to eat. And still, even with this looking back, I don't know how my parents did it all. And I don't even know how we had time to do it all. And I remember a story that my dad told me and he was sitting on the chair with his friend and my dad said, I don't know how I'm going to do this anymore. And his friend said, well, is she, is she even any good? My dad said, I don't know. She's 14 or 15. She's, I mean, she looks like she's talented, but how can you tell if the kid is going to make it at that age? And his friend turned to him and said, I think you have to ride this out and you have to find a way. And ever since then, we just found a way. We applied for bursaries. We sold things. As soon as I quit water skiing, we sold our boat and paid my team fees for that development year. And my family just always found a way for us to follow our dreams. And I know that sport shaped me. I know that it made me who I am today. A lot of people ask me about motivation, how I stay motivated. And I think after you hear this, you might realize that I don't think I had a choice but to be motivated, you know, to go through between all of these sports. I had to work up the courage and the nerve and the energy to ski five times a day and, you know, go back to school on Monday, study and go to water skiing and go to swimming and go to gymnastics. It was a lot. And so I don't think we ever, we were never bored. We never, our motivation really never waned. I always had my sister to chase around for that. But it also didn't give us any time to stew in our failures. We had a thousand different opportunities to test ourselves, to succeed or fail. And failure was completely inevitable. If you have thousands of tries, you're going to fail hundreds of times. And when we'd fail, we'd just move on to the next sport or the next thing, you know, the next math test or the next ski race. And it definitely shaped me into who I am, how to be resilient, how to put one foot in front of the other, how to just take a step forward when you feel like you're just down and out. And I don't know if I could have had that if I didn't have such a high performance sport at such a young age. And a lot of parents ask me in the alpine skiing world now about their children missing days on snow or missing time in the gates or missing races because of injury. That happens a lot. And I'm not sure what the equation is. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a mathematician. But I do know that I did a dual sport until I was 18. I didn't specialize until I was 18. I didn't go to the gym until I was 18. And I missed so many days in both sports. And both sports are so technique focused. They focus on power and balance and rhythm and timing and also bravery. And the consequences are very high a lot of the time. And I'm, I'm sure that that missed time on snow maybe affected my technique. Maybe I didn't develop technique as early as I could have. But I also know that that time as a water skier or as a academic or in high school made me have more grit and strength and maybe finesse and timing. As a water skier, because I excelled more quickly and I was 13 making these big decisions, for example, at that nationals that I said that I won the open women's event at 13, the way it works is you have to complete a pass to start the next pass, but you can opt up to the next pass and skip a pass. But if you miss your buoys, you don't get any buoys counted for your name. But with the wind, it's a tricky decision. You have to sometimes decide if you're going to ski your hardest pass into a headwind, which makes it easier. But that means that you have to ski your second hardest pass into a tailwind. And so in that competition, I decided that I would opt up 
So I would skip a pass, which increased the pressure tenfold. I had to make the next pass. I had to ski my second hardest pass into a tailwind and finish it. And I had to get buoys at the next pass in order to win that event. And I had to make these decisions in the water with no help at age 13. And so I think that it taught me how to weigh risk and reward really early and make these split second decisions. And also it made me grow up fast. I had to take ownership of my decisions and I had to deal with failure and move on so quickly with three events in water skiing and all these events in alpine skiing. And in high school, I had to accept the failure. I had to learn from it very quickly and I just had to move on. And I learned time management. Sometimes a DNF in alpine skiing meant time when I could study for an upcoming exam or something. And, you know, time in water skiing was time away from school. But as we water skied on weekends and did all these other sports, I had to study a lot in the car. A lot of people have seen me study in the car or at the table or, you know, making flashcards that I could look at just moments before I would go out skiing. It made me prioritize my training, learn what was important, kind of put aside my doubts in myself. There's no time for that. I had to improve fast because I was training less than everyone else. And I knew that each day mattered. Each day I had on the water, each day I had on the snow, each day I had at school, I had to make every single day count because I didn't have a lot of days in any event. And and I think also for sure it kept me away from any sort of drinking or partying or testing any sort of substances. I was being drug tested early, but I also, I just didn't have time for that. I just had to put one foot in front of the other to reach my goals in all these different areas. But in water skiing, I really do think I was burnt out. It definitely shaped me into a type A person. I like to have a plan. I rely on a plan. I work hard and I expect excellence of myself and the people around me. And that developed at a very young age. And I don't know. I don't know if I could define who I am without sport. I've had sport in my life since I was two and I've been a high performance athlete since I was 13. And I don't know who I would be. And maybe that's a sad thing to think, but I also know that I wouldn't have had the success that I've had. I wouldn't have the longevity of my career that I've had now because I've been very fortunate with my body, my strength, my brain, all these things with the longevity of my career now. And I definitely wouldn't know myself as well. I know myself very well, sometimes to a fault, but I wouldn't have been able to get there without this other sport and without maybe this feeling of burnout at certain points or working so hard. And that's why it makes me so disheartened. It makes me so sad when these parents in skiing come to me and they're counting gates and they're counting days on snow and they're counting turns and they're putting so much emphasis onto all these things at such a young age. And like I said, I don't know the answer. The only thing I can say, and maybe I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to say it. It doesn't matter. At that age, it doesn't matter. Our sport, our sport of alpine skiing is rooted in body control and managing pressure and maintaining balance and developing strength and learning the balance between flow and rhythm and timing and aggression. And that can be learned elsewhere. That can be learned on a pair of water skis. That can be learned on a soccer field. That can be learned while writing a math test. And not one of those things is going to learn it completely. Of course, technique is important and time on skis is important, but learning to ski moguls will also teach those things or learning how to skate out of a start gate or how to reach for the finish line or 
you know, skiing powder and Whistler, all of these things are so important. And I think by counting these things too early, you put your child in a box, you cut them off at the knees. And by missing these important things, we miss out on the basics. And without the basics, a great skier will just, they'll never be born. When I was 18, I had never lifted weights. I had never been in the gym. I didn't specialize until I was 18 when I made the national team. I didn't sacrifice my grades for my athletics. And looking around at my other teammates, I see the same thing. I see Laurence, she played basketball. And I see Broderick Thompson, he was a figure skater. And Marielle Thompson as well. And Mitch was a figure skater. And Lo also rode bikes. And so many athletes played soccer. And it's so beautiful seeing all of my teammates go through school, even now on the national team school and NCAA and World Cup, and have all of these sports in their backgrounds as well. I'm not saying this only from my point of view. Of course, that's the one I know the best. I'm saying this seeing my amazingly talented, athletic, smart, well-rounded teammates. The thing I know for sure, the thing I can tell you for sure is that there's no one size fits all. We're all unique. We all have different needs. We all handle stress differently. I think some of my childhood was pretty stressful and I, I'm not one to handle stress very well, but looking back, I know that I must have handled it pretty well to handle how much I did at such a young age. So there's no one size fits all for the journey to high performance. And some specialize and move on to greatness and they become well-rounded and they're amazing athletes and they are dominant. But also some don't specialize and they are also dominant and they are well-rounded and they are grounded and they are amazing people. And I think that happens more often than not. And counting gates and turns and runs, it's simply not the answer and it's missing the point. Of course, that's my opinion, but at such a young age, the biggest lesson and the biggest message I want to get across, I guess, is to develop that love of skiing. And I can tell you after being on the team for 13 years and skiing since I was two and living this kind of life where I did have burnout from one sport, I love skiing more than ever. When I have a tough day on a pair of race skis, I go and I free ski. Even between runs in Killington, I had a bad first run. I think of it as a horrible first run. And I went for a free run to go and fall in love with skiing again, not to find my technique, not to feel these feelings, but to feel this immense joy. And I know when I'm done with this racing career, I want to ski and I love skiing. And I love to see our youth ripping around and going off jumps and going through trees and challenging themselves. And I challenge you to keep this love of skiing in their little hearts for as long as possible. And I know skiing is expensive. I know that firsthand. We're still, I'm still paying $30,000. I know the sacrifices are huge. And I know that it's a huge undertaking. I've been there. I've done it. My parents have been there. They've done it. But try not to make it too serious. Give them other life experiences and separate who they are as little humans from how you want them to do as an athlete. And I know how hard that is. And I know how hard it is to let that go. But I promise you that the love of skiing will far outlast and outperform any number of gates, runs, courses, or camps. And if you don't believe me, or if you need more persuading, just look at the stories of Dave Riding or Valerie Grenier or Broderick Thompson. They're beautiful stories as well. And most stories on our team, on our Canadian team are like that. And so 
that's a little bit about my history. That's part one. In part two, we'll talk to Valerie Grenier. And she also grew up as a water skier, also chose alpine skiing. And we'll talk more about the pros and cons of sports specialization, about our experiences, how they shaped us. And I just wanted to explain a little bit about my history before jumping on with Val, because I'm really interested to hear about her experiences as well. And I just wanted this to be, I wanted to give you a little bit of background and I want to give you a little bit of my, my thoughts about this. And it always gets easier as I talk through it. And even now I'm wondering if I'm going to re-record this, but I just wanted to say thank you all for listening. Thank you for being here. I have learned so much and I hope you all have taken something from one of the podcasts at some point and it makes it all worth it. And so part two will come along shortly. Val and I are preparing now for more upcoming races. We're training hard. We're trying to get strong and we will come back to you with more later from both of our past and more about sports specialization, dual sport athletes, and kind of everything in between. Thanks everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to Unspoken Bravery. My goal with this podcast is to connect with you through real life experiences. So I would love to hear from you. A hello, feedback, future ideas, you name it. You can reach me on my Instagram account at Aaron Milzinski or head to my website, aaronmilzinski.com. If you like the podcast, please share, review and subscribe. I hope to see you back here to uncover your own hidden superhero. Superhero.